welcome to free therapy, which is uh, free desperately needed therapy this time. Uh, just this one specifically? <laughs> you, you've no, asked me here on all pretences. This is, <laughs> this is actually an intervention. Yeah, it's not so much a podcast. We've been very concerned. Right? <laughs> this is a podcast in which we're going to um, basically explore what it means to be a comic and what why people become comedians and also why on earth someone would become a dad. Um <laughs> With uh, with my dad, um, who has been sort of oddly d- gnomed. That's not a word. Uh, <laughs> what is gnomed? <laughs> I, I want like nomination, nom- like named. Um, but I could have just said named. Nomed. I thought maybe I was accepted yeah. into the society of gnomes or something. And, oh, you mean that thing that that you did when we were little where you put your underwear on your head and pretended to be different gnomes of different days? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now we know why Hannah's a comedian. Yeah, exactly. Um, Do you want to introduce yourself and your dad to yes. the audience that doesn't know who you are? This I'm trying to so, help. I'm trying thank to help. You. This so. is why. This is why I have you first. Because this is, this is a completely different thesis for a show than what you invited me to do. But that's great too. Uh, <laughs> well, we're really discovering this as we go along. Um, yeah. Because Brock already has a thriving podcast called Brock Party, um, available on iTunes. That um, I don't think that any podcasts are thriving, but sure, we can. Yeah, <laughs> it's available. That part's it's available. For sure. It's available. Um, and uh, my, I'm Hannah Michaels, and my father Barry Michaels. Uh, his book, The Tools, has been out for a while. It's done pretty well. Um, and what's the tools about? The Tools is something that... Oh my god, you haven't read it. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? What kind of a daughter are you? (laughs) How did you know? Um, Dad, maybe you better explain it. The Tools is a simple self-help book for people who are really interested in in changing. It's not a lot of platitudes, but it's very direct, practical interventions that you can make in your own life to overcome very common problems. So it's like it's like behavioral therapy with with symbolism and spiritual behavioral therapy with a philosophy behind it. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. And and not just asking the universe to give you shit. Yes, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Oh, I, this isn't like the secret based. <laughs> You're not going to make my vision board today. <laughs> Dang it. You can. I have some magazines. You could you could flip through. I want to make my LLB. vision board out of your magazine. That seems. <laughs> yeah, you could put together what my mother wants. Um, she pretty much only gets pajama dot com uh, catalogs. I assume that's only pajamas. What? Yeah, and, yeah. And pajama it, lifestyle al- accessories. Mm-hmm. It's only pajamas. I've got many pajamas. Those are only the catalogs you see. Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, this is great for this me. Is, oh, this is so good for this me. This is great for you and everyone listening. And I'm learning so much about you. I'm gonna have nightmares. <laughs> it was, this was your idea. <laughs> That's the best part of the nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, Brock, you have a new album out called uh, Nightmare Fuel. Yes, I do. Also available. <laughs> 
and thriving. Thri- thriving, <laughs> thriving as much as a indie stand-up comedy album can. Thriving in the illegal download market. Yep, that too. Oh, yeah. Hurtful. Good start. Yeah. Good start. Yeah, right I'm so sorry. You're just you're trying to trigger me. I'm doing out. so well. <laughs> I'm trying to trigger something that he can therapize because uh, it's very easy if you are his child, and very not easy if you're not his child because he's a polite man. Oh, don't worry. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll step in when it's appropriate. <laughs> not that polite, daughter. Yeah. I'm not that. Well, is that is that how do you want to get this started then? Other than I'm interested, to I'm interested in what, what did she tell you this was yeah. going to be? Just regular free therapy, not any sort of connection to that being the origin story for comedian comedy. Uh, yeah, that was something I just thought of today that, oh, like maybe we should try to figure out why we do this. Um, because I'm sure there's a reason that we chase. Like, there's not enough love in the world. That's everybody's origin. Right? Yeah. I need more. There's, right. There oh, yeah. could always be more spotlight. Uh, no. Well, I'm happy to do free therapy. <laughs> free therapy. But whatever uh, you guys want to Then do. I guess mine gets to be pretty easy because I, I, I assume it's tied to my comedy. Uh, the overwhelming sense of anger that seems to be boiling out of me at a frightening pace. Uh, I've been in comedy for three years now. And before that, uh, me and my friend Joe Starr, who's another comedian, we've always talked about how our anger, we just keep everything inside forever and don't talk about it. And so we store it in a little puzzle box, like in the movie Hellraiser, and sometimes that puzzle box shakes a little bit, but things don't get out. And then usually it just means that you're just, uh, something happens someday, and you overreact to it way too much, and that's how people know, oh, you're keeping something inside. Uh, But the last year or so for me, I haven't bothered putting anything in the puzzle box, and now the things just come out of me, and I've noticed it. On, in, in driving a lot lately, like the drive over here today, which I think was just a trigger. That you said, hey, it's Saturday. There won't be everyone in L.A. trying to go to the beach. Why don't you drive on out here? Uh, uh, I've, I've reached a point in the car where I can only listen to jazz music because it doesn't have lyrics or artists that I know. And if I hear lyrics or artists I know, I start yelling in the car because I have problems with their philosophies or what they're trying to say in their message or whatever. And now I'm just listening to jazz, but I've been listening to jazz for long enough just trying to learn who some of the artists are and then getting mad at the art. It's, it's a cycle where I'm like, eventually it'll just be like a sort of an atonal, like whale mating song. And then I'll be like, this is fine. And then a week into that, I'll be like, fucking whales and the anger. I, I know that I know what I look like to people when I'm driving and there's just the shouting in the car. And I think it's kind of funny to me. But then I'm like, oh, that's become what I do all of the time now. And the problem with that is that. That is also part of the career because to do that on stage is is what gets money for me. Uh, but I don't want to have it in my life all of the time in the same way. <laughs> you don't want the anger to take over your whole life. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels nice, and I I I, I do have fun just being angry at things with my friends. But then I I was in a car with another comedian recently on a way to a show in Orange County, Ooh. and uh, I realized that his his sense of anger was so all-empowering that uh, at one point just a car pulled into the lane in front of us. It wasn't going a different speed or anything, but he just started screaming how much he wanted the car to blow up. And I was like, oh, you just yell at anything that you see. And I became instantly very worried that I'm on the precipice of becoming that, where it's just like, oh, look at that carpet. Fucking carpet thing is just... 
that's not what I want. Do you uh, notice anything consistent in what you get angry about? Uh, like, have you ever, like, studied it and thought, oh, this is, like... It, it tends to be the kind of things... Like, I, I had one last night where we went to a, a very... Oh, alternative lifestyle restaurant place that was very big on like everything is coming from a specific part of the world and everything here is recycled or something. And they pulled up the floorboards to do some work. And instead of shutting down the restaurant, they just put cardboard everywhere, but they put a big sign out front that was so thrilled that they'd used recycled cardboard and had the story of the cardboard. And it was just one of those things. I think it's when people try to try to cover something up or there's some sort of inherent trick or when you see that like there's such an honest answer to what that thing is but no one wants to acknowledge it that kind of thing drives me insane wow. like, yeah because does that does not everyone else see what i'm seeing here they didn't just shut down they don't there's no floor here uh, i don't know why there's not a floor in this restaurant that seemed you should have a floor and then walls and then food and if you don't have the first two don't open the doors uh, so it's the it's the hypocrisy of that like, triggers me in a big way. Yeah, uh, making the it LA seem... comedy scene is so great for that. Um, uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I maybe the hypocrisy thing is part of it because I I can't. I used to be very involved in following politics, and I can't do that anymore because every day somebody's saying something, and I'm like, I, I I always know there's hypocrisy there, but the anger that comes out of me makes me yell at a television alone in my room, and I'm like, that's not. Mm-hmm. healthy for me either mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's I find myself having conversations where there aren't people there now <laughs> I'm trying to make people on television or a cardboard floor explain why it's wronged me uh, and maybe my life doesn't need act outs in that way <laughs> you should meet Dave you have met Dave many times I've known Dave for so very long what? <laughs> I don't know why I said that okay you should meet <laughs> Dave when he when no one but me is there because that is a different Dave that kicks things. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry, Dave. I didn't know that Dave was a kicker. Uh, yeah, Dave is a kicker and then regret that he kicked. Or... As long as he doesn't kick you. What? I'm sorry, but the dad just rose no. up inside. Oh, you triggered such a dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, there's a lot of junk in Dave's Dave, place. There's plenty. Dave. <laughs> Dave, I'm so proud of you for listening to this. Yeah. Very supportive of you. You're a good boyfriend. Yeah. You really are. If you have gotten this far, whoever you are, you're a good boyfriend. Right. You have at least 40 good boyfriends right now. That's... Yeah. It's, it's as far as three or four men on Twitter would like to believe. Um, Can I just say, one of the things I love about comedians is that they're so sensitive to artifice and pretense and the mismatch that's just sort of rampant in our society between what we say we think and what is really going on, Uh you know, underneath. And so I take kind of a, you know, psychology tends to pathologize anger Mm -hmm. and certainly acting out on anger is, should be pathologized. That's, that's not something you want to, you know, encourage in people. But the presence of society, the, the presence of anger in a society that is inherently very hypocritical, mm-hmm. to me, that's actually a sign of health. The, to me, the key is what you do with it. Sure. If you can turn it into something creative, 
if you can turn it into a trenchant observation on mm -hmm. society, if you can channel it in some effective way. If you can chew ice into the microphone yeah, of your yeah. podcast. <laughs> you go. <laughs> you go. Without chipping too you know, much enamel. Five minutes into this, I realized I just shouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, I... I yeah, I think I, I like when it. I like when the anger becomes uh, motivational because it makes things happen. And obviously, without you know recognizing that artifice, there's no impetus to do a thing. And I, I'd had that moment after that trip with that much angrier comedian where I was like, I don't think I have any friends in comedy that are the kind of people that are just like, hey, this is fun, things are good. Like I, I just kind of like the things are fine and nice. And I was like, oh, but that's inherent in what the thing is because if they were that person, they would never have anything to say. Exactly. Because that you need the conflict in order to have something to talk about because otherwise you have nothing to share. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I just keep... I, I, the longer I'm in comedy, the angrier I become because that's who I'm around. And it's not even that I'm angry at those people. It's that our, our mutual anger becomes like a one-upsmanship thing. Uh, uh, yeah. And I can I can tell that that's I can tell that it's a communal thing because sometimes I'll go for weeks without spending like doing road trips with another comedian and I find myself being much calmer. Ah. But then I was like, oh, this is just the way that we communicate, and then I take it home with me and live with it for uh, for days, and 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 then it becomes more habit than anything, and that's. That's, I think, the thing that I want to take down a notch. Got it. Got it. You don't want it to be a way of life. Yeah, when it, when it's me alone and it's not for performance and it's me actually becoming... It, when I was home for the holidays, a big problem in my family in the last couple of years has been that my mom has stopped watching television for entertainment and she just watches Fox News now. Uh, and so she does the same thing that I was starting to see in myself where she works herself up so much that she has these panic attacks when I'm going to get on an airplane because she's been led to believe by 18 hours of this a day that if everyone that gets on an airplane is going to get Ebola from a toilet seat and I and, and no amount of explaining it and so it's it's one of those things that I'm like I'm very concerned about what that does to her and then every time I come back from there I'm like oh I see that I'm starting to adopt some of that in my own life, and I, I can't calm her down until I can calm myself down. Right. Because we're both yelling at televisions now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which was, the, that was the best part of me, is that home for the holidays was like her yelling at the TV because Obama was on, and what a liar he was, and then me yelling at the TV for making Obama look like a liar. So we're not talking, but we're both yelling at the same television. Uh, yeah, we don't need that. That's probably not great. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I one thing that I've I've really noticed is um, it may I don't I I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but that um, I hate comedy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, comedy is the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I hate a lot of people who do comedy. Mm-hmm. And feel like they shouldn't be doing it. Well, it's, it's but who it's, am I to? It's like it. anything else where there's an expression of 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 thought. I mean, the internet is the same way. You can be like, I love the internet and I love things. And then you're like, oh, but a lot of people whose ideas I don't want to hear are also here. Yeah. And that's super depressing. Uh, and you, uh, there's that part of you that wants to fix some of them or try to engage with them. Yeah, exactly. And then as soon as that goes away, then there's no interest in watching because you're just watching a bunch of problems that are unsolvable yeah. uh, happen at you. Yeah. Can I just try an experiment? I, yeah. And we can take this out if it doesn't work. But um, just close your eyes for a moment. Uh -huh. Put yourself back with your mother 
Fox News is blaring in the background. She's mm -hmm. panicked about Ebola. You know, you're getting angrier and angrier. And just recreate the anger as, as vividly as you can so that it's like you're actually there. How, how do you want me to recreate it? Just Inside to, yourself. Okay. Just, just feel it like, you know, like a hot fire. Should I be Sean Hannity in the background? No. It's, my dad hit me when I was a child and I turned out fine. I'm going to keep yelling about this. Sorry. Okay. Now, let's just do an experiment. Just um, come to a place inside of yourself where you accept that, at least for right now, this is simply not going to change. Fox News is going to be what it is. Your mother is going to be what she is. And at least at this moment, you are powerless. And see if that changes the contour of the anger at all, the flavor of it. Okay. Can you say anything about what that felt like? Uh, yeah, that, uh, uh, the difference in that is, is kind of, in that moment I want to be yelling at her because I, I want her to accept that none of this is true and that these ideas don't line up with the philosophies or religion that she's accepted and that the, those things are what they are and then uh, to accept that uh, I can't change that I think just it, it turns the anger back towards the TV again in that way that I'm like I don't I can't seem to make this stop. Hmm. Okay. What? what you... I mean, just uh, I I I've been trying for a couple of years to get them to stop leaving the Fox News on all day long, and uh, and that that comes back to the problem that it's just always there and I can't seem to get them to make it go away. I guess what I'm asking is if you really accept it inside that you're powerless mm -hmm. over them and even over Fox News, mm -hmm. what, what would happen to the anger? Would it, would it diminish? Would it soften? Would it, what, what would change inside of you? <laughs> I, I, I maybe I don't know how to accept that I would be powerless over that because it seems such a simple thing. Well, have you ever gotten her to stop watching? Y yeah, there have been there have been periods, and I, my father had been more active in helping on that, where we would, you know, limit her to an hour a day mm. on something like that, and and she she kind of bragged about how she was. It, it this is taking on the. <laughs> the terminology of helping break somebody of an, from an addiction mm -hmm. that's so passive mm -hmm. uh, in their lives that it's just not there. And even my dad goes out of his way to say, like, well, I watch CNN, too, and I get other inputs, and, and she can't do it because I watch it make her angry. Uh, Let me put it this way. I think, again, as I, as I said earlier, that anger is a natural response to falsehood, pretense, artifice, you know, just sure. hypocrisy, everything that, we've, that we talked about. But what I really think happens inside of an individual is that anger then gets quickly harnessed to the ego. Mm -hmm. The ego isn't, I'm not saying it's necessarily an all bad thing, mm -hmm. but it does have certain needs that are egotistical. 
Um, okay. One of those needs is to be right. The other need is to get a result. And it, <laughs> it wants an immediate result. Uh-huh. So at that moment, without even analyzing it, without even being aware of it, your anger has gotten harnessed to the ego, which wants to say it's absolutely right about uh-huh. your mother and about Fox News, and that it wants to get an immediate result. It wants her to stop watching, turn uh-huh. the TV off. Okay. Now, here's the problem. Number one, you might not be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I happen to agree with you. She agrees with you. But who the fuck knows? Maybe? For, for a couple of years, I was willing to go on that route. But when I was home for the holidays, at one point, she insisted to me that we were all about to get Ebola. And when I asked why, she said the following thing, which was that uh, several vials of Ebola blood had been stolen from Africa and that it was probably Al-Qaeda that did it and that Al-Qaeda would probably sneak into America over our unprotected border with Mexico. And at which point I was like, what are they going to do? Throw some blood on some people? And she said, no, I think that they're going to sneak into a Catholic church and open up the communion wine and pour it into the communion wine. And that was one of those things. I was like, if you don't hear the way that that sounds to anyone else in the world, like that's, that's so far from being a possibility, but you're spending hours out of your day making yourself sick over that specific of an idea was the point that I was like, that's not a political, that's no longer arguing Republican, Democrat. That's that's a, a very specific narrative that doesn't make sense, and I can see it physically hurting her. I get it. Yeah. Now, let me explain what I mean by right. Factually, of course, uh-huh. you're right. She's wrong. Okay. What I mean by right, though, is self-righteous or right in a kind of cosmic way that what's happening to her at that moment is necessarily a bad thing. Some people have to go crazy before they get really healthy. Okay. I mean, you don't know. This might be a step in her evolution that she actually needs to take, go so far in this direction that by her own effort she can come back. Because okay. you don't know at that moment that you've got the answer. That's what I oh, mean. Oh, because I don't know the arc of what her recovery looks no, like. because you're so. not God. And I don't mean you have to believe in God, but you just don't. But the ego wants to be God. If you study what you feel at that moment, because look, mm-hmm. I was a really angry young man. So fucking angry. I mean, uh, just unbelievably I, so. I can't picture that. I know, I know, because I've changed a lot. I had to really study what is that feeling? Like, why, why do I want to kick things? Why do I want to beat people up? Why do I, you know, and what I... Can what I, I just say that Dave doesn't want to beat people up? I know. <laughs> Sorry, I just that's, have to... Dave, that's probably good for Dave. Let's <laughs> yes. that. that's, that's, just a, that's just a good call on Dave's part. Definitely. <laughs> what I found was that my ego, this part of me, really felt at that moment that it had a monopoly on the truth in a way that no human being can really have a monopoly on the truth. Mm -hmm. You can't know. The other part of this is more important, though, which is your ego wants a result, and it wants it now. Mm -hmm. That's why there's such an imperative to take action at that moment. Because if you could be even right but not need to get a result at that moment, mm-hmm. you'd still be angry, but you'd be calmer. Sure. It would be less of a call to action and more just, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Are you going to inflict more suffering on yourself, Mom? Mm-hmm. You know? Which would leave you in 
a more peaceful place. And weirdly enough, I think in the long term, it would actually have a better effect on your mother. Okay. Because in general, when people... Like, if I'm your mother and you're approaching me with your ego, Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel like I'm being talked down to. Okay. And I'm going to feel like you need me to change rather than that you see me suffering and would just like me to Mm -hmm. feel better. You get the difference? Right. I mean, it's subtle, but it's a really important difference. You can't actually force people to change. I can actually speak to that there are moments when I am completely irrational and like I'll tell Dave something like uh, oh my ex-boyfriend's gonna track me down and kill me and um, that's not true although he does have the psychological makeup for it and I wouldn't be surprised to see him on CNN one day that's not true um, and it's, it's not true except it's like 60% true is that what you yeah think? it's not true except dad is cringing trying to hear this um it's not true at all, but when Dave approaches me with the kind of, that's illogical, you can't believe this, you're a healthy person, why do you believe this kind of mindset? Mm-hmm. Even though I know an hour later that I've been crazy, uh, I get more stubborn. Because uh, I feel like you don't respect me as a person, you're not listening to me as a person, mm-hmm. and the emotion is real, even though I'm not being logical, in that moment it feels real. Uh-huh. And I think that the way a regular person would react, doesn't speak to the volume that I'm feeling. And then, you know, an hour later I realize, okay, why would anyone want to kill me? I'm not that important. Um, Mm. I'll give you another example, one that Hannah actually taught me, which was... I taught you something? Yeah. You taught me a lot. I'm so glad we're recording this. (laughs) (laughs) When, when you were young and you would like act out, especially after Jesse was born, you were going through the, you know, terrible threes, fours, tens. It, I was just a terrible child. Go on. No, you were <laughs> yeah. But you would act out a lot. I would get really, really angry at you. And one time, I don't know what possessed me, but instead of taking my anger out on you, I just said, Hannah, I'm really disappointed in you. And a couple of days later, you came to me and said, Dad... That was the most effective thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> and it was effective. That's so specifically you, I believe. Yeah. The thing you tried, that, that was very effective. Exactly. That is such a shrink. What a compliment your fatherly Such a shrink. Yeah. yeah. But it was because I didn't, there was no ego in it. I was really just expressing my sadness, my disappointment, my, you know, I wasn't trying to change you at that moment. As, uh, as well, you should, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't tell a story to make you feel bad. <laughs> no, it really was an evolution of my thinking because I realized that's effective. That's interesting. And I studied the state I was in, which was just kind of resigned. It was just like, I'm not really going to be able to force her to be any different from the way she is, but I can let her know how I feel. Mm-hmm. Which is a very, you understand that's like a very different state to be in. Sure. Instead of like, you know, you can't see this, but... <laughs> Podcasts are a visual media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fists were made. Right. Fists of demonstration. Instead of that, it's like, all right, I can't actually change her right now, but I can express the impact that she's had on me. Okay. Well, that was... Um... 
No, that was actually very interesting. I was going to make a pithy comment, but I think you're really right. Um, That's what this show is going to take out of you week after week. It's just yeah. your desire <laughs> to pithy away. <laughs> it's, you know, the more, the more time I'm sitting here, I realize I'm just making this worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're the humanizing element. <laughs> the humanizing element, yeah. <laughs> One time... Um, yeah, it's, it's it's true because once you get like once you get too far into the shrink world, mm-hmm. like Dad, I know you hate hanging out with other shrinks, and um, it's tr- like once Except you for get Phil. well, but Phil talks like a normal person, right? Yes, um, yeah. like once you get too far into the shrink world, you forget how to talk to people. Uh-huh. Um, or even if you were like, you, well, same it, thing about comedy. I think too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, true. You, you absolutely. We all hate everyone that does the same thing that yeah. we do. Yeah, no one can imagine language. like David Rosenberg in nature, um, but it's apparently he works with children. It happens. Yeah, uh, but that, that's the one that uh, so many people that work in comedy also work with kids. Like there must yeah. be a solid a third of them, and every time I'm like, oh, it Why? shouldn't be you. No, it you shouldn't, shouldn't be you. No. That can see why you need to change your name on stage, because if anybody Googled you and found out, that's... Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dave actually, Cyrus is not his real last name. Pollock is his real last name, because uh, he drew the Pillow Pets book. Mm-hmm. And you can't draw the Pillow Pets book, and then also say horrible, horrible thing, things about Hurricane Katrina before we realized how bad it was. Uh-huh. Um, mm. He was on a radio show, and he didn't realize uh, how bad... Uh, things had been because it just the hurricane had just happened and the flood hadn't happened yet. Uh-huh. He said some pretty despicable things. <laughs> God, I, uh, I really I should have Dave a stage hot name. Takes. Yeah, I really should have a stage name. Come to think of it, just based on what I have said about my family and myself. Or just don't draw a Pillow Pets book. <laughs> or just don't draw a Pillow Pets book. Yeah, I, there aren't going to be any more of them. So don't. Yeah, don't. I I I can't run for office. It's okay. Oh yeah, we're all cool with that. We've all yeah, yeah, comedy we've makes all, you so unemployable in so many in so yeah. many fields. It's kind of yeah. Can I say one other thing about the ego, which is when you're getting into it with like another comedian, mm-hmm. and you're finding yourself having to top him mm-hmm. or her, you know, in terms of anger. That's another ego thing. In other words, it wants to win that competition, and again, it's oh, harnessed. Absolutely. It's harnessed the anger in the service of mm-hmm. that of that goal. And, you know, again, I'm not saying these things are easy to do, but it's really good in that situation to declare yourself, um, uh, just, just let the other guy win internally. <laughs> That's fair. It's kind of like, I'm going to make more friends that way, actually. That's going to work out. Yeah. But even better, you'll see the anger will more naturally subside because it's not being used okay. you know, f- for a competitive purpose. And there may be times when you want to, but, uh-huh. but a lot of times it just, it's just a bad habit that we get into of you know, competing with people, mm-hmm. especially how old are you? Oh boy, we did not WD-40 so, that chair enough. It's creaking too much. It's, the more we do this podcast, the more You're I realize... You're ruining my therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That was the best thing. That we were in the middle of the best thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're supposed this to rein it in when we would yeah, go too no far. Yeah, this is no longer called free therapy. This is how it ruins people's therapy. <laughs> um, 
that is clearly the format I have chosen. Right. The Hana interjection. Yeah. <laughs> where it's just notes about things that are going to sound bad on the podcast. Right. <laughs> oh, can we hold, I can chew can ice. Can we hold for the but... plane? We can hold for the plane. <laughs> but does that make sense? Yeah, that makes it's a like, lot of it's sense. It's like literally I see you closing your eyes and just saying, let him win. It's okay. Well, in that example, I was driving, so maybe I won't do... Not close your eyes. Yeah. Right. Um, Maybe the other thing I wanted to bring up today was uh, a thing that's been uh, something I I struggle with. Uh, I get... um, I'm always involved in a lot of creative projects, and I have a lot of ideas for projects, and more so in the last year or so, I've been hitting uh, these sort of internal brick walls where I'll get started on something and immediately worry I've chosen the wrong thing. And that's not something I've ever battled with before. And it very specifically is in, in the screenwriting side of things. Like I have, I have an Excel sheet that I've been keeping for several years that has a list of 125 movie ideas that I have. Uh, and, and specifically in the last couple of months, I've, I've been sitting down on a couple of different projects. And I'll get about 10 or 15 pages into a thing, and then I'll immediately worry that I've invested some time in the wrong thing and so for the first time in my life I'm I'm starting projects and not finishing them mm-hmm. and it's driving me crazy because I've never been that person 2012 and 2013 I was incredibly good at finishing a lot of stuff and when I looked back on 2014 I was like I started so many things that I didn't see through and that's not been who I am before but I I've also was recognizing that I, I have this very clear it, it it feels like a guilt almost. It especially feels like a guilt if I ever do any... Uh, this was also a big year for me to uh, not be able to have fun. Like I would sit down to play a video game and I would think of the list of 125 movies that I want to write mm. and tell myself, if you don't play this video game, maybe you could write 30 of them today, which is a crazy thought to have, but also just made it impossible to be like... I would find myself turning off movies halfway through and being like, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be working on these kinds of things. And all my free time stuff kind of uh, became miserable. What changed? What, what do you think happened between 2012 and 13 versus 2014? I, I honestly think that there was something about... Uh, I, had a, I had a couple of movies that have come out in 2012 and some stuff that came out in 2013 and some other projects that were in the works. And 2014 didn't have as many of those things because I got much further into stand-up comedy and touring and stuff, so that side of my life uh, took a little dip. But then I, at the very end of the year, I turned 30, and it was part of that, you know, turning 30 and looking back at your accomplishments, and there was all this stuff, and I feel like there was a lot of it leading up to that event that was like, you got to make a bunch of things happen before this thing that you've set as a very specific non real deadline but something that you imagine your life is supposed to be gauged by the deadline uh, being turning 30. turning 30 and then since then it's been like oh you hit 30 and and there were so many there was like a list of things that you wanted to get done and, and not enough of them got done uh and I, that now there's almost a fear that i'm going to go through this year and not get them done either uh and and so I, it's it's kind of like this week I was doing a lot of writing on a project and, and and the whole time I felt guilty I wasn't working on different things but I also felt bad the current one wasn't done and I was like I'm suddenly just feeling bad about a lot of mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. I don't know where that's coming from because I'm I'm doing the work I'm not I'm not sitting around and not doing the things but 
I, I, I don't know where this new thing has come from. Yeah. Has anyone ever told you how articulate you are? It's actually pretty amazing. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. No, it's amazing. <laughs> Look, this has to do with the same thing that we're talking about. In other words, ideas and the content that fills in those ideas doesn't come from the ego. It comes from the unconscious. Okay. If you study what happens when you create something or when you come up with an idea, it's not something you work out in your head mathematically or even sequentially. It just pops up. Okay. Which is the signal sort of that, that it's coming from some place that you're not aware of. It's unconscious. You're not conscious of it. Now, that doesn't mean that the ego doesn't fuck with it. <laughs> um, once the ego enjoys any degree of success, once it becomes aware of certain, uh, certain important transition points like turning 30 or turning 40, it gets into the act. It starts to demand that the unconscious meet a certain standard. Uh -huh. The unconscious isn't interested in standards. It isn't interested in... Um, meeting any particular demands. It's kind of more like a kid playing, you know, just uh -huh. free-flowing, constantly creating, constantly coming up with new ideas. And the demands that the ego places, un places uh, the unconscious under doesn't really, um, it doesn't really help the unconscious produce anything. It actually inhibits the unconscious. Okay. Because in essence, what you're doing when you criticize yourself for not producing enough is you're sending the unconscious a message that says, hey, what the fuck are you doing? You know, come on. Send something up. Yeah, like send something up right now. You know, type. why would you want to create under that? <laughs> it's like, think about it. If there was somebody doing that to you, it'd be like, Fuck you. Try to write something and then somebody's shouting, what about Godzilla? Yeah. Well, that doesn't help. Boy, you were doing a lot more last year than you did this year. Uh -huh. You know, is that going to encourage you? No. Right. No, you're going to run the other way. So, um, it's, I mean, I work with a lot of writers and a lot of creative people and you have to be really careful about how you talk to yourself because mm -hmm. it's not you you're talking to, it's your unconscious you're talking to. Okay. So if you even think about that, then what you'll do is when you sit down to, to work on a screenplay or uh -huh. you know, whatever, you'll actually be more inviting. You know, like, look, I need your help. Please, please help me with, with some oh, ideas. To ask your subconscious to take part in what you're doing rather totally. than to let it also be worried about your deadlines and your... Totally. Exactly. Oh, that's helpful. If you think of yourself as really two parts, the ego and the unconscious. And this is all Carl Jung. I mean, this is yeah. what he really pioneered. If you think of yourself as really two people, one of them you're not really conscious of, but it's producing all of the material that you need, then you're going to be much kinder to it and much more inviting and less critical of it. You're also going to allow it a more playful you know, atmosphere. In other words, let me go back for a moment. It's not for nothing that the same time you started to become more self-critical, that's also the time when you stopped allowing yourself to have fun. Uh -huh. Fun is good. It actually tends to like encourage ideas. I know it is, and that's what drove me crazy. It would be like, I know I need to do this right now and not have terrible... So how, how do I treat the other part of myself nicer? Um, think of it 
as a separate person or being living inside of you. And often what I do is I think of it as a younger person, just who has all of the imagination, all of the good ideas, all of what, what I would call flow. Flow is this kind of, I mean, I'm sure you know what flow is. It's just an unending state of creativity that doesn't really stop to think about what it's doing. It's just too busy flowing. Okay. That's what you guys do on stage all the time. And even if you know what you're going to say, you're in a, you know when you're in a flow, when you mm-hmm. come off stage and said, and, and say to yourself, who was that? Uh, yeah, I don't remember what I said because, uh, yeah, that's... That's the telltale sign that the unconscious has taken over and simply flowed through you. And the proper role of the ego is really just to be a conduit for the unconscious. It's not to have opinions. It's not to have judgments. It's not to set deadlines. But it is to control it. It is to control it, but in a non-judgmental way, okay. in a non-demanding way. It's not show up. It's like street signs instead of a director. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. It's look, think of a a director as a really good analogy because the best directors coax a good performance mm-hmm. out of an actor. They don't say, Hey, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Because that'll just inhibit the actor. You know, it's just gonna make them feel judged and, yeah. and you know, and brought up inside. Um what I like to tell writers is do this before, during, and after the writing session. In other words, you want to kind of bookend the thing by talking to the unconscious and essentially saying, I need you. It's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So please help me. Whatever you give me during the writing session, I will be very grateful for, you okay. know, type thing. And then at the uh-huh. end, thank uh-huh. it for whatever, whatever it gave you, even if you and your ego think it's insufficient. Mm-hmm. And just show up again the next day. Okay. And it's really good to, I find, because I write also, the, the unconscious really responds to rhythm. So what I try to do is show up at the same time every day and end at the same time every day. And it's almost like the unconscious just starts to get into that. Like it knows it's supposed to show up and it knows, okay, now okay. we're packing up the, the, the books and we're going to have fun or, you know, whatever. Um, 30, I, it's funny because I, I mean, I remember what it was like to turn 30. You feel like it's the end of your life. But the truth is, I'm 61. I published a New York Times bestselling book when I was 58. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. It's not, you know, these are such arbitrary deadlines that we set for ourselves. And it's really important to think in terms of, I just want my relationship with my unconscious to become stronger and stronger and stronger the older I get. And the rest is up to powers that are way beyond me. Okay. When it happens, how it happens, and everything else, you know, type thing. The other thing I would say is, um, because you're, you know, you get into a screenplay and then you get perfectionistic about it and you mm-hmm. think it's no good, I would just arbitrarily keep working on it, uh-huh. even though it's really tough. And it used to be much better at just finishing even when I was had problems and then that was part of this thing. I was like, I don't know where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I, it, I think it comes with age and the sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. So, and the sense that the ego has of, I need something to score. I need it to score. And this doesn't look like it's scoring when really all you're having is ordinary difficulties that every screenwriter has usually when they hit the second act or when they get you know far enough into it to discover the problems with it. Mm. There's n- 
literally, I've never treated a screenwriter that hasn't hit a certain point where he thinks this thing sucks. Because mm-hmm. it does at that point. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't continue on right. with it. Yeah. When you're younger, it's easier to continue on with it because you have no sense of your own mortality or the limitedness of time. Right. When you're older, it's like, oh, fuck, this sucks. I got to stop and start with a new idea. Because <laughs> I'm going to die. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what my Bob's Burgers spec taught me, actually. You're very good at this, Dad. What do you mean? Mortality? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to die. And it's... Uh, Before you finish it's your It's going to start Burgers with spec? what I did to Tina. Oh, no. <laughs> but you're Tina. Why would you do this? Yeah, that's what. It, that's the thing. Is I thought I could write something that happened to me and give it to Tina and not make it horrifying. And I can't. That's... Okay, that can't happen, actually. I know you well enough to know that that was a bad... That was a bad idea. (laughs) That was a very bad idea. When Tina has her episode where she worries that her ex-boyfriend is coming to murder her, (laughs) no one's one's sending that to Japan to be animated. That's... It's Japan, if that was Korea. That's the important part of this. You guys have lost me completely. <laughs> You've never seen Bob's Burgers? Who's Tina? No. It's a good show. Oh. <laughs> you should see it. Okay. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> that's, I... That's the best part of the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. The plug for a show. <laughs> this that is way more you... successful than this will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if we animate this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's good, actually. This yeah. I, I just realized you're actually good at your job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, boy. This is today. It's finally right. That's why I make the big bucks. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think this is, this is a good time. Um, so one thing I thought of that, um, that I might actually work with me here is um, that when you, become, when you become a parent, you completely lose all grasp of pop culture whatsoever. <laughs> And so I have this... Oh, we're doing this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had an idea for this game where uh, we are going to show Dad a picture of any figure within pop culture whatsoever. It could be a writer, a musician, an actor, anything like that. Um, and just based on what they look like and their name, Dad is going to try to figure out how they became successful and what they do. So the name, too. If you would like. Okay. Wait, so I'm supposed to guess... The name? No. No, not the name. <laughs> <laughs> we went over this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one part we went over. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, please don't blow your nose. <laughs> yeah, that's bad for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you get up for a tissue? I'm showing um, my age now. <laughs> no, it's just genetic. What is my it? nose runs like an it's unceasing constant. waterfall as well. But I, I rub it on my sleeves like a normal person <clears throat> who's <throat> disgusting. I, I just hit the thing making don't, sounds. Don't talk about it. I just hoped you wouldn't talk about it. And then you talked about it. All right, so, so we what does the person do? Yeah. What does the person do? That's it? All right. Yeah, just try to figure out as much as you can about them because these, there's no way you could be these right. Are, these are pretty easy. Okay, this is uh, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj um, grew up in a Catholic family. She wanted to become a nun, and then there was a sudden big shift in her life where she became very, very sexualized and was exploited by men 
and uh, went into music, I would say. Um, that's about it. Anything else? That, that, that was shockingly accurate. That, that sounds about right. Is that right? Uh, yeah. She is a musician, and she was uh, previously, uh, temporarily a porn star, so she was... Seriously? Yeah, oh God, which is something that no, not many I people talk about. Uh, let's try this one here. This is uh, Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman um, grew up in a very conservative town with a father who was... Um, overly strict, but mostly just so conventional um, that Nick um, Nick wanted to be like him, but he saw the uh, complete freakiness behind it and decided to embody that instead. Um, I don't know if it was for some reason insurance is coming, insurance sales. I don't know what else. All right. Uh, he's an actor on uh, Parks and Rec on NBC, uh, who also famously uh, does a lot of woodwork. Woodwork? Yeah. Interesting. Libertarian woodwork kind of guy. He's a libertarian? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, he's a libertarian, not just his character? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, they're, him and the character are very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was getting, like, serious ideology, intense ideology. You were also getting insurance salesmen, so... Insurance salesmen. He does... Uh, to be fair, he does look like an insurance salesman. He looks exactly... He... <laughs> <laughs> All right, this... Although I do like the idea that we would have brought an insurance salesman yeah, in to test exactly. your <laughs> <laughs> You know, the most famous insurance, insurance salesman, salesman in pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, this is Courtney Act. Oh, God. This poor girl was also sexualized really early. Um, <laughs> um, I want to say she was maybe, like, in beauty contests. Um, um, mother was very kind of, like, cheap and uh, tough, really tough, really demanding, like a stage mother. Um, probably anorexic or bulimic. Um, that's about it. What did you do? <laughs> I'm going to show you another picture of Courtney Act. Holy shit. <laughs> Courtney wow. Act is the most convincing drag queen I've ever seen. Whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. That's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, the other uh, queen did, song. Did you really need the one with the twist on episode one? No, <laughs> yeah, I really jumped the gun there. What's the twist? <laughs> this entire podcast is just going to be named What Hana Does Wrong. <laughs> um, here's another one. Uh, this is Pendleton Ward. Pendleton Ward. Um, grew up in Maine. Uh, sort of backwoodsman type um, background. Um, cerebral, philosophical... Um, comedian, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, he's the creator of Adventure Time, which is kind of a trippy kids' cartoon. It's actually mm -hmm. really fun to watch. It, I mean, it's I say kids' cartoon, adults. Yeah, but also, I think philosophical kind of nails that. That's absolutely, yeah. No, it's, it is a kind of a very philosophical show. Can um, I just say that there is a um, there's a very strange period as a parent when your kids are like between one and seven, eight, nine, depending on the kid, 
where you do total, you not only lose touch with popular culture, you become immersed in kid culture. Right. You know, in our time it was Rafi, you know, and other like little horribly treacly sweet little lullaby songs and stuff and you just it just wipes out your memory banks (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I believe that and it's like um, being transported into an alien once you've taken a child through their Teletubbies period then there's no way to get back there's no way to get back no you can't you're changed forever yeah that uh, that um, really makes it much, much more okay that you like Avril Lavigne. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. What are you doing? What are you doing now? Don't do this to your dad. <laughs> Thank you. <You're> <laughs> See, we've teamed up against you. Yeah, that's what you've done. Exactly. That, that's about. what I have wrought. It's yeah. not only... I mean, that was a prime time for you to jump on me for my arm warmers that you didn't take. Because every oh. single MC, and by that I mean Joseph Larkin... Uh, calls me up to the stage as Avril Lavigne. Good. My friggin' arm warmers. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the one thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's been free therapy? Uh, Yeah. All right, thank you. Yay. That was great. Thank you. (laughs)